Folks, we live in a country today that is on a, a slide down, do we not? And it's unfortunate, but if the Lord should tarry, Christian folks are going to have to bear it along with the heathen. You say, well, I'm not acting like they are. I know. It's a grief to me. It should be a grief to you. But it's a grief that we may have to bear if our Savior should tarry. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 10, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 10 is an area where I've been reading uh, recently... And something grabbed me, and I'd like to share it with you today. Do you know the when of Jeremiah and the where of the book of Jeremiah and the why of the book of Jeremiah? Well, the when was about 600 years before the time of Christ. The where was Jerusalem in that vicinity. The why is because the Jews had been acting up and they were about to be judged of God. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the one who wrote the Lamentations, is warning with a broken heart to repent, and people aren't listening. And so we find this verse tucked here in Jeremiah 10, a textual message, just one verse, but it's verse number 19. Woe is me for my hurt. Notice the exclamation point. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly this is a grief, and I must bear it. As I was reading through Jeremiah, it was the last part of that verse that really grabbed me. Truly, this is a grief, and I must bear it. That's the title of the message. This is a grief, and I must bear it. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you now for thy word. We thank you for the encouragement it gives. Thank you for the reminder here, even in this and verse here, to bear that which you allow into our lives. It may grieve us, but it's there for a reason. And help us now, dear Lord, when we find ourselves in those valleys to remember this simple verse and this simple truth, this message, and may it help us. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 10 verse 19 says, Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is a grief, and I must bear it. Who's talking here? Well, you would think Jeremiah, that he's saying this about himself. This is a grief to him, but he must bear it. But I think more so it's Judah, or maybe even Jerusalem specifically, because all the instruction up to this point and even afterwards is directed at the Jewish people. It's not good news. God is not pleased with them. And so we find Jerusalem maybe in submission here, kind of a solemn resignation saying, surely this is a grief. Everything I'm hearing is a grief to me, but I must bear it. It reminds me of a high priest back in the Old Testament book of Samuel by the name of Eli. You remember him? As the book of Samuel, we find Eli mentioned and we find out that he's the high priest, not a very good one, even a worse dad, worse father. And Samuel, the uh, young man, gets some instruction from God, a message, really, to go back and to tell Eli. It was not good news. 
I mean, the sons of Eli were going to be judged. Eli himself was going to die. The ark was going to be stolen. Israel was going to be defeated. One of the worst days in the history of Israel. And Samuel had to bring that news to the old man, Eli. And after he receives it, in 1 Samuel 3.18, after Samuel told Eli every wit and hid nothing from him, he, Eli, said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. You know what he's saying there? This is a grief but I must bear it. God has said it. And with all his flaws, I like this about Eli. The resignation there to the will of God, he simply said, it is the Lord. There's no changing this. God has spoken. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. He knew that this was something he had brought on himself. And by the way, sometimes we bring that grief upon ourselves. Reminds me of this verse. Lamentations 3.39 says, Wherefore doth a living man complain? a man for the punishment of his sins. In pastoring these many years here, I've heard a lot of people complain, and it's for something they got themselves into. God help us to remember this. Wherefore doth the living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Eli knew it was his fault, and so he said, it is the Lord. Let him do as seemeth good unto him. He said in so many words, this is a grief, and I must bear it. So Jerusalem was going down, and Jerusalem says, this is a grief, but I must bear it. Folks, we live in a country today that is on a a slide down, do we not? And it's unfortunate, but if the Lord should tarry, Christian folks are going to have to bear it along with the heathen. You say, well, I'm not acting like they are. I know. It's a grief to me. It should be a grief to you. But it's a grief that we may have to bear if our Savior should tarry. Verse 19 says, Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is a grief, and I must bear it. You ever felt that way? You're going through something. It grieves you, but you say, I have to go through this. There are some key words in verse 19. First of all, the word woe. The word Woe. It means, oh no. <laughs> it means, cursed be me. It means misery and distress and, and wretchedness. And we use that expression, woe, when we say, woe is me. I am in distress. Now, it goes on and it says, woe is me for my hurt. Notice the word hurt. And then it says, my wound is grievous. Notice the word wound. It's not talking about ex- external hurt or external wounds, but internal a hurt of the heart, an emotional hurt here. And notice the word truly is added unto it. Truly, this is a grief. There's no avoiding it. It's coming. I can't stop it. God has spoken. Truly, this is a grief. That's our key word next. Remember Charlie Brown and good grief? There's really no such thing as good grief, if you will. Webster defines grief as sorrow, but apparently by God's definition, it's more than sorrow. Because in Jeremiah 45, 3, the prophet says, Woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sign, and I find no rest. And so sorrow is one thing, but grief must be another because he speaks of adding grief to his sorrow. Grief is sadness. Grief is misery. Grief is distress. Grief is mourning and trouble and pain and loss. That's grief. It's it's unhappiness. It is difficulty. And it can come in a number of forms. Are some of you grieved today, maybe physically? 
you bear this infirmity and it's ongoing. And, and like Paul, you know something about weariness and painfulness. Paul spoke of those things. You are grieved because of physical ailment. A number of years ago, I was doing something dumb, and I, I shattered my shoulder. A, a, a grade 3 AC tear where the three bones meet, they just blew apart. I, I'll, I'll have a bump there for the rest of my life. And I, I, I got done, and I'm telling you, the, the shoulder was mush. It was like a dish rag, and it was hanging about an inch and a half lower than, than this one. And I went in for a certain type of treatment on it that required injections monthly. And at first, you go in there, and the, the shoulder's throbbing already, and he puts needles in there and shoots all this stuff into it, natural, of course. Uh, but when I left, I'm telling you, it felt like a mule kick to the shoulder. The more hurting it was and, and unhealed it was, the worse it was. And I'm telling you, I drove home with that thing throbbing from the Twin Cities. And it grieved me, grieved me. Some of you live with ongoing pain. And it grieves you. It's physical pain. You know, Paul talked about his infirmities. He talked about those of other people. He mentioned Trophimus. He said, I, I left him in my lead him sick. They say that one in five seniors right now are on medication for some kind of chronic pain. Maybe you're one of those. Fifty million Americans suffer from non-malignant chronic pain. Fifty million. And some of you sit here, and you could raise your hand and say, that's me. And it grieves me. I live in pain day after day. Maybe it's not physical grief. Maybe it's financial grief. Maybe you struggle from month to month and bill to bill. Or maybe you've suffered a, a financial reversal as of late, and it has grieved you. Maybe it's, it's a relationship grief. Maybe you're grieved by something with your spouse, or your children have grieved you. We read this verse in Proverbs 17:25 that a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. Sometimes children can grieve us. I think of uh, of how Esau grieved his parents because he not only married two women but they were heathen women. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 26:35 they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebecca. A grief of mine. We can understand that expression. It was on their mind all the time, and it grieved them because of what Esau had done. Maybe it's the, the, the grief over a child. Maybe it's grief over a, a uh, loved one who's been lost, lost in death, has gone on, and you're grieved about that. You know, I think of uh, Job losing his ten children. His friends came to see him to try and console him. I've often thought of this verse in Job 2.13 that they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights and none spake a word unto him for they saw that his grief was very great. Can you imagine his grief? And can you imagine this scenario? I mean, they just sat there. What do you say? I mean... How can you encourage, how can you comfort a man at that point? So for seven days, they sat there. And maybe somebody brought them food, and they sat silently, and they ate their food. When it was a time to get up and go to the bathroom, they did quietly, and they came back, and they sat down. And for seven days, at, at night when they got tired, they just curled up, and, and they slept. But for seven days, nobody said anything because they looked at Job, and he was about to explode. His grief, the Bible says, was very very great. The psalmist in, in the Psalms talks about being grieved. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes talks about being grieved. 
Uh, Jonah was grieved over the, the issue with Nineveh and the gourd and all of that. Even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament dealt with grief. And he said, if, if any has caused me grief, and so apparently some had, this is a grief and I must bear it. Notice the next word must there in verse number 19. In other words, it's not optional. You have to bear it. You can't be the proverbial ostrich and plant your head in the sand and wait for it to go away because it's not going away. It's a grief and you must bear it. Now, your first reaction when a grief comes into your life is, is how did I get into this and how do I get out of this? I'll never forget June 1st, 1990, we, we broke ground on the building we, we were in for years over at the other location, and we worked month after month after month, seven days a week, and we were just going around the clock. I mean, at least for me, it was seven days a week. And in September, I mean, we're in the middle of the thing, and the thing was a mess, and I broke my hand. And I'll never, never forget thinking, how did I get into this, and how do I get out of this? That's what happens. How do I get out of this? I look around this building here, and I'll never forget, it was, uh, it was late summer, maybe early fall of 2000. And the excavator was in here, and we had about four feet of sand in this place, and, and we, dug, we dug the uh, footings all the way around and, and the support walls and everything, and a deluge came down of rain. I'm telling you, I don't remember how many inches it was, but all it did is fill the trenches with, with, with water. And we got the sumps out, and we were pouring it out, but, but where we had dug it all caved in, and, and we're out here, and, and it's a mess, and I thought, what are we getting into, and how, I get, how do I get out of it? It was October 31st of that year when we poured the flat work in here, and some of you were here, and you remember what happened. It rained cats and dogs once again, and it made a mess, and I thought to myself, how did I get into this? How do I get out of this? When something grieves us, that's how we feel. How do I get out of this? And now the ministry just gets more complex and there are days when you go, how did we get into this? How do we get out of this? You can't. This is a grief. And I must bear it. Let that sink in. You have got to bear it. Now, life has been compared to three different things. We talk about the seasons of life. It's been compared to seasons. They come and go. They change. Psalm 31.10 The psalmist said, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing, my strength fail it. And he's talking there about the seasons of life and how they come and go. Life has been compared to seasons. Life has also been compared to a roller coaster. This this past summer, I, not by choice, had to get get involved in something that was a necessary evil. And uh, I felt like I was on a roller coaster. As I look ahead at the months to come, I see another one coming. That's how life is sometimes. It's up and down. It's a roller coaster. Sometimes, thirdly, life has been compared to a pendulum. And it's, it's swinging this way, and you say, well, this is great. This is positive. This is good. But you know what happens? It swings back the other way, and that is life. And we have to bear it. Our text says, this is a grief, and I must bear it. That's a powerful truth. That is a powerful text. But how do we deal with grief? How do we bear grief? How do we endure grief? How do we shoulder it? And how do we keep on going? That's the bigger question here. Well, let's see how we do it. First of all, we have to remember the ultimate permission. The ultimate permission. 
I'll never forget the old Laurel and Hardys, and you probably watched them too. I don't know if it was Stanley or Oliver, but one would say to the other, this is another fine mess you got me into. Remember? This is another fine mess you got me into. So who's at fault when we have problems? Who's at fault when we're grieved? Could it be our spouse that has caused us grief? Could it be our kids? Could it be our boss? Uh, could it be a teacher? Could it be a, a sibling? Could it be a, a co-worker that has caused us grief? Or maybe it's ourselves. We have caused our own grief. Well, let me just say this. Ultimately, ultimately, all grief must come through the hand of God. It must come through God. He must allow it at least. In John 10, 27, Christ says to his believers, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man, notice, is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Friend, when you get saved, Christ reaches down and picks you up and wraps his fingers around you, and now you are in his hand. That's why I believe in eternal security. He says nothing can pluck you out of his hand, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, the Father which gave to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck him out of his hand. So not only does Christ wrap his hand around us, but the Father wraps his hand around Christ's hand, and nothing is coming through those hands except God allows it. You get the, the point? The ultimate permission for grief in our life has to come through the hand of God. Only if God allows it. Remember when Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, the devil has desired to sift you as wheat. You know, the devil wasn't going to sift Simon as wheat unless God allowed it. That whole scenario with the denial of the Lord and all that took place, God allowed that. Never forget the ultimate permission for grief in our life has to come through God. Let me show you a gem. Deuteronomy 33.3 says, Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand. Notice, God loves us. Are you a saint? Are you saved? You're either a saint or you ain't. If you have been born again, you are a saint, according to the Bible. He loves you, and it tells us the saints are in his hand. I just love that. I remember in the book of John when Lazarus was dying, word was sent to Jesus to come quickly. He tarried a couple more days. Then he starts walking back to Bethany along with the disciples, and, and uh, he lets them know Lazarus is, is dead, basically. And then he says in so many words, I'm glad for your sake we weren't there. In other words, I have something to show you. This is all designed. There's a purpose in all of this. God has allowed it. And in, when grief comes into our lives, there's, there's, there must be ultimate permission. Psalm 31.15, the psalmist said to God, My times are in thy hand. We are in God's hand, and anything that gets to us has to come through the hand of God. And that word times there in, in the Hebrew, it's, it's the, the word eighth is how it's pronounced. And it literally means seasons. The seasons of life, the times of grief, are in God's hands. So when it comes to this grief that we must bear, we see, first of all, the ultimate permission. But secondly, we see the underlying purpose. The underlying purpose in it all. The grounds for it, or the reason for it, or the cause for it, or the um, uh, motivation for it. You know why God allows troubles into our lives? 
I mean, troubles that grieve us because He loves us. That is the underlying purpose. Lamentations 3.22 or 3.32 says, But though He cause grief, yet will He have compassion according to the multitude of His mercies. Though He cause grief. doesn't say He might cause or if He causes, but it's when He causes. Though He cause grief, yet will He have compassion according to the multitude of His mercy. Now, you say, why would God cause grief? Well, let me just put it this way. God cannot be tempted with evil, according to the book of James. Neither tempteth He any man. And so when the Bible speaks of causing grief, it's basically allowing it through His hand there. God will allow grief into our lives, but the motive for it is love. Though He cause grief, yet will He have compassion, according to the multitude of His mercies. Proverbs 3.12 says, For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth. Notice the motive again. Even as the Father, the Son, in whom He delighteth, whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth. God loves you. God loves you. That is the reason He allows grief into your life. It's not to be mean. Don't get God wrong. Don't judge God wrongly. It's because He loves you. It was that love that put Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. It was that love that made Christ suffer and bleed and die. It was that love that put Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane in agony, sweating drops of blood, praying this prayer in John 12, 27, saying, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into this hour. Notice the phrase, for this cause cause. Jesus knew it was all about. Jesus knew that the love of the the Father was sending him to the cross, and he speaks of his soul being troubled, his soul being troubled, the hour of trouble. This was a grief that he had to bear. Why? Well, it's tied to the love of God, the love of God. That is the underlying purpose for grief allowed into our lives. The grounds, the reason, the cause, the motivation is love. We read in 1 John 4, 7 that love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, for God is love. The underlying reason for your health issues, the underlying reason for your financial issues, the the underlying reason for your issues with relationships that grieve you is God's love. It is the underlying purpose. It's all about God's love for us. We see this underlying purpose, but thirdly, we see this unknown prophet. This unknown prophet. We don't understand what's taking place when grief comes into our lives. And, and really, quite often, we want to know why instead of just bearing it. But there is an unknown prophet to it all. Romans 8.28, which we all know, says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Not ours. It doesn't say when it's going to all work for good or how it's going to all work for good or what good it's going to work for. It just says somehow, someway, somewhere, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We find here this unknown prophet, and we don't understand it, but it ought to enable us to say, this is a grief, and I must bear it. I will bear it. You see, it's not about us. It's all about what God wants to accomplish in our lives, or accomplish through us. And will it please God? And will it profit God? That's where God's concern is. 
We read in Hebrews 12:11 that no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Notice that word grievous. There's our word again. And notice, nevertheless, afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit. There is an unknown profit to it. And we ought to say, okay, I don't know how God's going to use this, but I know He is going to use this, and I know it's going to bring Him glory, and that's all it's, that matters, and so, so we can trust Him. Can we trust God? Really, the goal ought to be to seek His profit and not our own. We read in Titus 3.8, These things, Paul says, I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. This verse is telling us to keep on going. And uh, whatever that grief might be, we can bear it because it will be profitable unto men. Are we profitable unto men? There is an unknown profit in those griefs that we have to go through. And really nothing else matters but the will of God. What does God want? Is God in this? Is God uh, wanting me to go through this? If so, I'll go through it. That I might profit from it and profit others from it. Many years ago, President Lincoln came into uh, the, uh, the private chambers of the White House and he, he uh, slumped down on the sofa and his wife looked at him and said, well, where you been? And He said to the War Department, and she said, any news? He said, yep, all bad. Dark, dark news. He sighed heavily, and with his long arm, he reached over in the rack next to the sofa, and he reached for the Bible. And he pulled it over, and he opened it. With this look of distress on his face, he began to read. He knew exactly where he was going, and he read. And about 15 minutes later, Mrs. Lincoln looked over at him, and that distressful look had turned to one of, of uh, hope, and, and uh, maybe uh, uh, the countenance had changed. And so she was curious. What is he reading? What is he reading in the Bible? So she didn't want him to notice. She got up carefully, kind of just sauntered over to, uh, to where he was reading and stood behind the couch and looked down, and he was reading the book of Job. We talked about Job just a moment ago and how he suffered. And the consolation that even the President of the United States found centuries and millenniums later by what Job had to go through. There was an unknown prophet, and I I believe as Job sits high in heaven today, he says, okay, it was a grief. But as I enjoy heaven, I was glad that I bore it. We find this unknown prophet in our grief. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, Godliness is profitable in all things, having promise of the life that now is, and that which is to come. Like Job, there is a great profit in our grief, and it is quite often yet to come. The ultimate permission, it has to come through God. The underlying purpose, it's love. The unknown profit, it's all things working together for good to them that love God. Fourthly, Let's talk about this understanding praise. This understanding praise. There was a preacher who preached in this pulpit just a week ago. And uh, he quoted a verse, had us, had us turn to it, and he, he pointed out something in this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Here was his point. 
This is what he pointed out. The word in. He said if we'd have written that verse, we'd have put the word after there. Right? Remember that now? After everything, give thanks. After the smoke clears and the dust settles. After the trial is passed. We, th- we can be thankful. With 20-20 hindsight vision, then we can give praise and then we can give thanks. But that's not what the verse says. It says in. In other words, while you're going through it, in everything, in the trial, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I was sitting next to my wife when he pointed that out. I nudged her and I said, that is good. I love that. That is tremendous. You know, when we praise God regardless... What happens is God, I believe, gives us a better understanding of that grief, why we're going through it. There's, there's that understanding praise, that understanding praise. There is that surrender, and with it, a, a, a praise, and then God gives us greater understanding. It's called the sacrifice of praise, by the way. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Notice the word continually. Not just on the mountains, but down in the valleys. We're giving praise to God continually. When it's hard to do, it's called a sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise to God continually. The Bible says our God inhabits praise. And when we praise God during the hard times, God hears it. He says, I want to inhabit that. I want to be in the midst of that. I want to be down there. I want to be part of that. You know, it would also help us to remember that our Savior was no stranger to grief. This is something we forget. But if we look 700 years, even before He walked this earth, way back in Isaiah 53.3, it says that Christ would be despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, you know the rest, and acquainted with grief. Our Savior was acquainted with grief. Stranger yet is the suffering, the grief he bore on the cross. And stranger yet is how that suffering pleased the Father. Christ was acquainted with grief. And seven verses later it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. It was the Father who laid that grief on the Son. You you say, Pastor, that's weird. That's cruel. I mean, all that the, the Son of God went through, why would the Father do that? Well, you have to think outside the box. First of all, the Bible tells us that Christ became sin for us. And so God looked at it as punishing sin. But also, the Father knew the only way to save cherished objects, us, His creation, our object of love, would be to atone and forgive our sins and still be just at the same time by allowing His own Son to shed blood and pay the price for our sins. So he put the son to grief. And Christ was willing to do that. He was acquainted with grief. Which brings me to my, my final thought. The ultimate permission comes from God. The underlying purpose is love. The unknown prophet is it working together for good. The understanding praise comes about when we don't get it, but we accept it and we praise God anyhow. And finally, we see the utmost pleasure. The utmost pleasure. We had a gem of a revival recently, and and honestly, I hated to see it end. There were so many golden nuggets and so many tidbits that flowed from this pulpit as those those preachers preached. But I think one of the greatest for me was when uh, one of the preachers stood up here, and he said, really, life for a Christian boils down to one thing, just one thing. 
Now, I, I, my ears perked up because I like to simplify things. I don't know about you. But when he said the Christian life just includes one thing, and that is pleasing God. I meditated on that thought for the rest of the week. It really all boils down to pleasing Him. Every decision we make in life needs to be made as Christian people with the question, does this please Him? Will He be pleased if I do this? I have a decision to make right now. I was discussing it with one of the fine men in this church last week. And really, all I want is to please Him. Will it please Him? That is the one thing we need to ask ourselves Does it please Him? So here's this grief that we must bear. Does God take pleasure in it? You say, that's hard to swallow, preacher. Well, let me give you a verse. Revelation 4.11 says, For thou, talking to God, hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Stop and think about that. It's all about pleasing God. The reason we're here is pleasing God. The reason God created everything was for His pleasure. And so it's not about us getting an education, though I'm not against that. It's not about us getting a degree, though I'm not against that. It's not about us making money, though I'm not against that. I'm just simply saying that's not what it's about. If you're into that, is that that what consumes you? And you get up in the morning to, to build a business and to be successful and to make money and to buy a nicer house or to do whatever, that's not what it's about. It says, for His pleasure, we were created. Will it please Him? You know, the Bible says this in Hebrews 11.5, that by faith Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. That's all that mattered. He pleased God. So when it comes to the trials, and when it comes to the setbacks, and when it comes to the heartaches, and when it comes to that grief, can we, like Eli, say, it is the Lord? Let him do as seemeth good unto him. This is God we're talking here. I believe that's the reaction that pleases God. When the trials come our way, does our reaction please God? The, the father was able to say of the son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ said, I do always the things that please him. That's all that mattered was pleasing the father. Can we say that? And does God say that of us? This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Does he feel that way about me? Does he feel that way about you? We are here, and really his pleasure is the utmost. The utmost pleasure, honestly. So this is a grief, and I must bear it. I must bear it. Now, it might be that the understanding of what you're going through right now is not full understanding, uh, and maybe that won't even come till later. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Paul says, Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. The day will come when we will have full understanding. It will be no longer like looking through a clouded glass. But Paul said, As well as I know me, I'll know why this happened. I'll understand it. That understanding will come one day. But maybe not yet. I was reading John 11 recently when Lazarus died. And, and Mary and Martha were so disappointed in Christ. We find in verse number uh, 21 that, first of all, it's, it's Mary who rebukes the Lord. And she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother hadn't died. 
And then 11 verses later, it's Martha. Exact same words. In verse 32, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother hadn't died. And here she is rebuking God. And Christ said to those gals in so many words, do you really trust me? Do you really trust God? That's really the $64,000 question. The Christian life, in two words, is trust God. So simple. Trust God. Now, one day, that day is coming when all our grief is going to be over. I'm looking forward to that. And the wolf will lie down with the lamb, and they'll eat together. You can imagine that, a wolf and a lamb. Kind of like the roadrunner and the coyote, finally getting along, you know. And we're going to be in the millennial period, and God's going to wipe away all tears. And one day, all that grief will be gone. But not yet. So for now, we remember these five truths, okay? The ultimate permission must come through God. The underlying purpose, when it does come through God, is love. The unknown prophet is something that's going to work together for good to them that love God. The understanding praise comes about when we offer it up in a sacrificial way and say, I trust you, God. And the utmost pleasure that we ought to be concerned about ought to be not ours, but God's. Does this please Him? I believe it will help us to cope when, when we're grieving or going through grieving situations. And when we say, this is a grief, and I must bear it. I must bear it. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.